0: Hello again, plant friends. Thank you for joining me out here, out on my back patio. I am just sitting out here kind of, sort of, on the fence on whether or not I'm enjoying it. It is a little bit cooler, but it sure has been really muggy lately. Like, the gross kind of muggy. But... I'm not going to complain about it too much because along with all the stupid humidity we've had the past couple days, we've gotten some really, really nice rain along with it. And it was just so good to get um, some rain because my yard was getting so dry and dusty, and we started noticing that we were getting cracks in the ground like we, we do during um like the summer when it gets really hot and we're kind of like in drought conditions and um one day this past week i had come home for lunch and i just did a quick walk around the backyard wearing the shoes that i had worn to uh work of course and i got my heel caught in um a crack one of those cracks in the yard And I really kind of like twisted myself all up and I spent the rest of the afternoon just sitting at my desk and just barely moving because I didn't really want my body to uh, hurt. (laughs) But anyway, this rain that we got this past week in Central Texas, it did make it humid and a little gross but I don't care because my cute little red oxblood lilies finally popped out of the ground and they're blooming now. I wait all year for these things. I just think they're so special. They're so pretty. And they just needed that fall, autumn rain to do their thing. And If you are driving around Central Texas, especially here in Taylor in our older neighborhoods, they are all over the place and I love it. I absolutely love these little flowers and they just make me so happy to see them. And I also really liked seeing them after this nice rainfall. Plants really love all that rainwater too, especially after kind of the warm spell. You know, it had been getting dry, so I'm pretty confident that all of our plants and trees and grass just love those showers that we got this week. Around my garden, my plants just look really refreshed after that good rain. My okra plants really love the rain too. They had been looking pretty scraggly and sad, and I was even getting a little depressed looking at them. They were just so so sad looking but this rain definitely rejuvenated them and they are flowering and putting on lots and lots of pods again rainwater is just wonderful not only is it free it doesn't cost anything but rainwater is also free from salts minerals chlorine and other like treatment plant chemicals. You can't really say that about tap water or even ground and well water. Rainwater is also slightly acidic, which is great for the soil that we have out here in Taylor and our part of Central Texas. We have that blackland prairie soil. That black dirt is very alkaline. And that slightly acidic rainwater helps offset the natural alkalinity of our soil just cancels it out makes it more neutral and plants love a more neutral soil they really thrive when we get a nice rain shower. now that we are officially Couple weeks into fall And now the fall blooming plants Are starting to do their thing One plant that caught my attention this week Was goldenrod On my usual route Around town, you know, going to the store Going to work, coming home Taking the kids to school, all that stuff I Passed by this small field that Backs up to one of our parks And As I um, drove past one day this week. I was like, wow, look at all that goldenrod. It's really, really pretty. Um, just the whole field looked like it was just full of goldenrod in full bloom. It looked like somebody had taken a big paintbrush and just splashed the tops of all those plants in the field with bright yellow paint. And to me, it was just really, really pretty goldenrod is also a very important source of nectar in the fall for all kinds of butterflies and moths that are migrating south this time of year. It's also important to the bees as well, since the nectar is going to help them over winter. And even though all the bugs love it, goldenrod is one of those plants that isn't particularly appreciated by humans. And that's because it gets blamed for stirring up people's allergies and I can totally understand that I get that and that's because it's um bright sulfur yellow feathery flower heads they just look like they're completely loaded with pollen and my nose is feeling a little bit twitchy just thinking about it but goldenrod isn't actually causing our congestion or season see we're sneezing it's the ragweed that also happens to be blooming this time of year compared to goldenrod ragweed is boring and it's uninteresting to look at it has green flower head that sort of looks like a tube with little bumps covering it the leaves are also jagged and serrated like a marigold leaf And I can kind of understand where it it gets its name. It kind of has like that shredded look of a rag. Anyway, to me, ragweed is just not a pretty plant. It's just boring and indistinct. It's totally underwhelming compared to goldenrod. But what it lacks in attractiveness, it more than makes up for In allergens now goldenrod is insect pollinated it relies on bees and butterflies and other bugs um, visiting the flowers um, to get itself pollinated those insects love the nectar and they get pollen on their bodies every time they land on the blossoms then they transfer the pollen as they bounce from flower to flower goldenrod pollen, is actually too large and too heavy to float in the air. Ragweed, though, on the other hand, is wind-pollinated, and its pollen is very tiny and super light, and it's able to float float and drift in the air. And ragweed produces a ton of pollen because... Wind pollination is pretty random. It doesn't always um, make it to the right plant, so ragweed just pumps out the pollen. Insects have a much better chance of pollinating flowers than the wind because they go straight to the flowers. And since insect pollination is more precise, there's actually... um, less pollen that goldenrod needs to produce, but because they bloom at the same time, nobody notices the ragweed. All we see is the goldenrod kind of showing off with that pretty egg yolk colored flowers. So poor goldenrod gets the blame for making everybody congested and sneezy, but it's actually ragweed just lying low and cranking out. All kinds of gross allergens. I don't know. I think it's kind of sneaky, and actually, it's kind of devious. But I don't know. I guess we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, it is freaking ragweed. Goldenrod is such a favorite of butterflies and bees. If you are interested in having pollinator plants in your garden, you might want to consider planting some goldenrod in your garden. Now that it's early October, we have lots of butterflies and moths that are migrating through our part of Central Texas, and goldenrod just grows really well here, and it'll add a little bit of sunny yellow to your yard during the fall. And it's it's really great because um, you know once we once those summer bloomers stop blooming, it's nice to kind of have um, some color into the fall. And goldenrod, they love full sun, but they can also take a little bit of shade too, depending on the variety. They can get pretty tall, like up to five feet tall, but. If you go out to your local nurseries and you look for goldenrod, um, most of those that they sell are only going to get two to three feet tall. Goldenrod is really popular in herbal medicine. The flowers and leaves are used to make teas and tinctures. It's supposed to be really good for reducing inflammation, especially joint inflammation, but it's also used um, to treat Issues um, with the urinary tract, but I think it's really, really amusing to me that goldenrod is also used to treat seasonal allergies, including allergies to ragweed. So, take that ragweed. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor and check out our station that we have and learn about all the great shows and music coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. Then you can also go head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or you know wherever you get your shows and subscribe to the Plow and Hose Podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show and downloading Plow and Hose episodes actually helps provide me with some show statistics. All right, well, you know, another plant that is blooming right now here in the fall, and it's kind of caught my attention, is roadside aster. This is a little tiny, pale pink daisy looking flower that is blooming right now. It only gets to be about six inches tall or so, and it pops up in bare patches in the lawn, and then also in other places that you don't expect to see it, like cracks in the sidewalk. And this week I noticed um, a roadside aster in my driveway, in a crack in the driveway, as I was walking to the mailbox. I don't even know how many times I might have run over it, but roadside aster is a tough, scruffy little plant. It has coarse and kind of wiry foliage but the bees love those cute little flowers and when it dies back in the winter the stems turn stiff and very very dark they turn almost black and it's sometimes called aster stubble kind of hard and if you step on it barefoot it's kind of uh Uh, Not painful, but it's not comfortable to step on either. Redside aster is really a very determined little plant. It doesn't need much water to um, thrive, and it can grow just about anywhere. Several, several years ago, back when we lived in um, South Austin, I was out in my front yard, and my neighbor was outside too, and he was this older, retired guy, and... I guess we were talking about plants or lawns, I don't know, um, but he made some sort of negative comment about the asters, probably the ones in my yard, but I don't, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I was kind of taken aback by it. I thought that it was kind of rude. I just don't, just don't get it. It just never occurred to me that people don't want these sweet little flowers in their yards. And as I was, like, looking up information about roadside asters, I realized it's really kind of a thing to hate on these little plants, Um, because I was so surprised about how many negative articles I found hating on this plant, this poor little plant. The first few pages, like, when you Google search it, there were pretty much nothing but negative articles about getting rid rid of it from your lawns. I don't know. Uh, Lawns are okay. I mean, to me, lawns and turf grasses, they have a place. They're great if you have kids, if you have pets. Lawns can, uh, they help with erosion and they're pretty fairly easy to care for. I mean, you just put the sod down, you water it every so often, you push a mower over it to keep it short. But in our climate in Central Texas, they can be kind of challenging, especially if you do not want anything but a single species of turf grass growing for your lawn. The typical turf grasses that we have at our homes here in Central Texas, they form dense mats. that grow so thick that they are actually able to choke out most weeds, but this really only happens when conditions are just right and conditions stay consistent the most common types of turf grasses that we have here are bermuda zoysia and saint augustine and as you might have guessed by their names these grasses are actually native to more tropical and seaside areas here in taylor and central texas uh, we don't have seaside or tropical climate, and since we aren't um, tropical at all, those turf grasses are going to need a lot more attention to maintain a nice thick mat that keeps out all the weeds. And that's going to mean a lot more water and a lot more nutrients to keep them green and lush. Central Texas is really prone to drought conditions and sometimes extreme drought conditions so keeping those tropical grasses like Bermuda and St. Augustine alive is gonna take a whole lot more water and to keep it green you'll need to supplement with fertilizer and after spending lots of money watering and fertilizing you're still gonna have some weeds popping up and if you just can't handle it you're probably gonna be tempted to apply herbicides to keep the plants down. Plants with little tiny seeds like dandelions and roadside aster. Weeds are just gonna happen. I'm perfectly fine with weeds in my yard, especially if they help the bees and the butterflies. Having a pretty lawn is a really nice thing, and some people really, really enjoy the ritual of lawn maintenance. I hate to um, admit this, and it kind of embarrasses me, because I am such a plant person, and grasses are plants, but I am just not a manicured lawn person. I like them. I admire them. I don't mind mowing, but I absolutely hate edging and weed-eating. I hate it Um, also like around here at our house we want to do things more naturally so we don't want to use expensive synthetic agricultural chemicals around our property you know we don't want to use things like weed and feed or herbicides or insecticides to me I would just rather have pretty flowers and trees and save the water for growing things that you can eat I know grass is technically edible. It's not particularly tasty, but you can eat it. And actually, some people have eaten it on purpose. So every so often, the Taylor uh, Public Library posts these vintage photos of historic Taylor. And then they also share um, some interesting old newspaper clippings. And a couple of years ago, they posted a short story from 1948, and the headline was Taylor Man Going Strong on Diet of Mostly Grass. And it was this whole story about this guy from Taylor named Elmore Torn, who was on his tenth day of his grass diet. And according to the article, Mr. Torn had already lost a whole six pounds from eating nothing but... Dried grass pellets, celery, and fruit juice. So I kept reading the article, and Mr. Torn was doing this for a couple different reasons. He wanted to make a point out of the fact that Americans were prone to overeating, and he wanted to take advantage of the health benefits of chlorophyll. But he also thought that Eating grass Could be a really good way To address world hunger I don't know I guess that didn't really take off Anyway, at the time uh, Elmore Torn was um, An executive for the Texas Comergic Council So I had to look this up And the Comergy is a type of chemistry that focuses on making industrial goods from agricultural raw materials. And it's been around since the 1920s, but it really took off as its own science during um, World War II. Because when um, we were at war, Japan cut off all the rubber supplies to the United States. So we were kind of forced to come up with um, other alternatives and that's where chemergy uh, kind of started taking off. But after the war, chemergy uh, um, kind of fell to the wayside. Um, and instead of using plants, um, they started using more petrochemicals. But it's making a comeback now with all the interest in bioplastics and all the things that can be made from sustainable crops like soybeans and corn and hemp. Um, anyway, that's chemergy. The story continued to say that Elmore Torn had done the grass diet before, back in 1941. And when he had done it the first time, he'd lost 50 pounds. And he also said that there were no ill side effects, but he would stop eating um, his grass diet if it started to bother him he was really, really enthusiastic about his, um, grass diet that he started a group called the Streamliners Club, and that was for anybody that needed to lose weight. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it just seems really crazy that this kind of thing would even make it into the newspaper, but Mr. Torn was, um, was a pretty interesting character. He did have some previous major success promoting food, so I guess he was trying to do that again with his whole grass diet. Elmore Torn is credited with promoting the tradition of eating black-eyed peas at New Year's for good luck, back before his grass diet. um, In the late 1930s, he was working in East Texas, And there was a Chamber of Commerce that wanted to come up with a way to promote Henderson County. And Elmore Torn came up with this whole big campaign to promote one of the biggest crops that they had growing there, black-eyed peas. And through some clever marketing, um, word got around, and that's why we eat black-eyed peas at New Year's. So, I did a fun thing this week, at least something that I thought was fun, and something I really look forward to doing every year, and that's picking figs. Ripe fresh figs taken, eaten right off the tree are just so good, and I really love them. And I will go to moderate lengths to obtain fresh figs. I've got three fig trees, uh, here in my backyard, but since we had that big, dumb, stupid freeze back in February, all three of my, uh, trees died back to the ground, and I really thought they were completely dead, but luckily they all came back from the ground, and we've got new shoots coming up at the base of the, um, of the trees, but... Unfortunately, I didn't get any figs from my trees, but lucky for me, my friend told me um, her tree had lots of figs right now, and she let me go over and pick some, and I think I ate as many as I picked. They were just so good. I find it hard to resist a soft, sweet, jammy fig that is still kind of warm from the sun. I came home uh kind of sticky between the sap and the um sweet insides of the figs um I was kind of a mess when I got home now we've had weird weather this year in 2021 and so it seems like it was pretty late for figs I normally pick the figs in Um, my yard in the late summer so Maybe it was just this variety of tree. It it just seemed it seems kind of late for figs, but I don't care I'm just really happy that um, she invited me over and I could have some fresh figs this year My friends fig tree produces green figs with um, bright strawberry colored centers They uh, there are a few different varieties of green figs that grow well for us um, in Central Texas. I'm not exactly um, sure a kind it is. Um, my friend didn't know either. It's just some sort of Asiatic fri- fig, which is just like a generic um, term for them. They're named varieties, but they are always a light green colored fig. Um, some varieties are called white because they're a really, really light green color, but When these um, green figs are ripe and they're ready to pick, they just barely turn a little bit yellow. It's um, some other uh, other varieties, you know, they they are very distinct um, color change when they're ready to pick. It's really hard to know when it's the perfect time to pick figs, but if you go out every day to your fig trees, you'll notice um, the differences between a ripe fig and one that's really not quite ready to pick. If they're firm and the stem is stiff, then they're not ready. If the flesh is soft and the stem is starting to droop, then it's ready. The best ones will practically fall off in your hand, and I love that. Uh, I love it when they're still warm from the sun. Um, When they get that ripe, they're not going to last long. They need to be eaten right away or made into fig jam. Figs are tropical uh, or subtropical. (laughs) Let's do that again. Figs are subtropical plants and do best in climates with... dry summers and mild cool but kind of wet winters and fortunately for us those are exactly the kinds that we normally have so if you want to add a fruit tree that's really easy to care for then plant a fig tree The, uh, green Asiatic varieties, um, grow well here in our part of Central Texas, but there are also several others that do really well, like brown turkey figs, Celeste, Alma, and Codota. Brown turkey figs are also called Texas ever-bearing figs. They're a medium-sized fig, and they're really well adapted to Central Texas, and because they're so adapted, um, they're one of the most common varieties that are found. Even the big box stores usually have um, Texas everbearing fig trees, and they're, they're not hard to find. They are productive trees, and they put on fruit that you can pick from May to August, so that's why they're called everbearing. Their fruits are are mild and um, sweet and they don't have a whole lot of uh, seeds inside. Celeste figs are another um, variety that's well adapted to our area and Celeste is really good because it's one of the um, most cold hardy fig varieties that um, we can grow in Texas. Celeste is very sweet and jammy on the inside. They have a really nice um, fruity honey flavor and like the um, everbearing ones, they don't seem to be very seedy like some other figs. I really like that crunch factor of a seedy fig, and I kind of miss that in the everbearing and Celeste figs. My big fig tree that I had in my backyard is a um, Celeste fig. And before this freeze, it was just this big, beautiful tree that put out lots of little tiny figs. It uh, it died back to the ground, and it's, it's coming back, so that's, that's a, a, a great thing. I didn't get any figs this year. Um, it's probably going to take a little time for it to bounce back before I get Um, Fig skin. I'm hoping that maybe next year that I will, but it might take a little bit longer before we get figs um, on that big tree. LSU Gold and LSU Purple fig trees. Um, Those are also really great figs for our area. Personally, I really like the LSU Gold. Um, They grow really well, they put out lots and lots and lots of golden yellow figs that have a pale yellow center. You cut them open and they're kind of like a pale yellow color inside. They are fruity and sweet, and they have a really wonderful honey flavor. White Codota fig is um, will also grow really well here, and it's one of the world's most commercially grown types of fig trees and it's the fig that they use to make Fig Newtons. The Kadoda is a medium-sized, kind of like a lemon yellow fig, and different from LSU Gold. um, The Codota has um, amber flesh inside, so it's got kind of a brownish um, color, and it doesn't really have a whole lot of seeds either. Kadota is extremely sweet and it's delicious. Uh, they are delicious if you want to eat them fresh or canned or if you want to dry them. Fall is the best time to plant all container grown trees and bushes. I'm a big fan of fruit trees, especially fig trees. But if you aren't interested in adding fruit trees to your yard this fall, but um you'd rather have like a nice large hardwood shade tree why don't you check out um, the burr oak burr oaks are native to central texas and it's very very adaptable it's a large round tree it's got big limbs and a nice thick trunk and the leaves are really large like the size of my hand each each leaf is like really really big they are a nice dark green and they turn yellowish brown just before they um before they drop i really like bur oaks i think they're they make a nice pretty shade tree but the favorite thing about bur oaks for me are the acorns they're really cool. When I was um, a kid, we lived in uh, Pennsylvania for a few years, and we had these oak trees. And I thought they had really big acorns. Um, I don't, I don't know what kind of oaks they were, but those acorns were like an inch tall and an inch all the way around, and they were, you know, they had quite a bit of heft to them. So if you got into an acorn fight and you got pegged by one of these acorns, yeah, I was gonna hurt. <laughs> I thought I knew what a big acorn was, but the bur oak acorns, they put all the other acorns to shame because they put up these great big giant acorns that can get to be two inches long and two inches all the way around, and they have this really cool, thick acorn cap. The cap is bristly looking. So like, if you take the acorn out of it and you turn over the cap, it looks like it could be like a little bird's nest or something. They're, they're really unusual and really, really neat. Since bur oaks are native to our area, they are extremely drought tolerant once they get established. Now, that can take a little while um, to happen. Even though baroques are considered a fairly fast-growing tree, they don't always really seem like that, and that's because large trees need a large root system. When you first plant a tree, it's going to spend several years developing a nice, strong root system. But once it settles in, and it's happy where it is, it really starts to grow. We've got a bur oak that was um, planted five or six, seven years ago. And it was just, it was a smaller tree. It was only a 10-gallon container. And we, you know, we planted that in the ground, and we waited, and we waited. And, you know, there were actually a couple years that we thought it had died, but... Um, you know, I'd go over and scratch the bark, um, with my fingernail just to see if there was any green underneath and there always was. So we just left it alone, but this past year or so, it really started putting on growth above the ground. So I want to say it's probably grown at least three feet this year and it's starting to look like a real tree and not just like a scrawny little sapling. Baroque trees get really tall. They get to be 80 feet tall or so and they have a nice wide canopy. And another unusual thing about Baroques is that it's wider than it is tall. So if you decide to get one, be sure to put it in a spot where it has plenty of room to grow because it's gonna get big. I like Arbor oak, and I'm really looking forward to it getting a little bit bigger and starting to put out those giant acorns. That is all that I have today. Thank you guys so much for joining me on Plow and Hose again this week. I hope you have a really awesome week. We'll catch you later. <laughs>